Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Daniel Batal, and we're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes that marketers make on YouTube and how to overcome them. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Daniel Batal. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Daniel Patel. If you don't know who he is, he's a silver play button content creator and channel growth strategies coach who helps content creators grow their YouTube channels. He's also a brand influencer and software consultant, and he's got an amazing YouTube channel, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, before we get started about what we're going to talk about today, and what we're going to talk about today is some of the biggest mistakes that marketers make on YouTube and how to overcome them. I would love to hear a little bit of your backstory. You've got a pretty fascinating backstory for those that aren't looking at the stream here. You've got all this amazing guitar, rock and roll kind of stuff behind you. So start wherever you want to start with your story. Tell us a little bit about how you got into YouTube. Start wherever you want to begin. Well, I guess the Reader's Digest version, depending how thick Reader's Digest is this week. 
is that I was a professional touring musician back in the day. So I actually used to, was had a couple major label deals and used to tour, but you know, most of North America. What kind of music? It was depending on the band. So most of it was somewhere influenced by either, you know, it was basically rock, but it ranged from kind of a classic rock thing all the way up to like a power punk rock thing, depending on how old I was at the time. And what kind of musician? Are you an instrumentalist or a vocalist or? A vocalist, guitarist. Yeah. So I play a little bit of everything, obviously, around me. But when I was touring, it was guitar and vocals. Nice. So keep telling us. So, so you're out doing the touring thing. And when was this? I did that up until about the early nineties, maybe not, you know, 92, 93 is when I started moving away from it more. I was, um, my stepfather always said to me, like, yeah, you gotta have a real job too. <laughs> like, even when I'm out making, you know, we were out like in the studio with Aerosmith making albums and he'd still be like, well, what's your real job going to be? So he was a stonemason and he got me into the trade. So when I wasn't on tour, I'd come back and I would do renovations. We would do commercial and residential renovations and things like that. So that was where I, I lived for a long period of time. Um, is just, you know, touring when I wasn't on tour, I'd come home and I'd build. So stonemason, tell people what that means. You're talking about like fireplaces and like stuff like that or what? Yeah. Custom stonework. We used to do massive, you know, these huge multi-million dollar homes with giant center fireplaces that ran all the way up huge stone and the arches and you name it. We did all that kind of stuff to stone walls and the outsides, you know, patios, pool decks. We did all this kind of crazy stonework stuff. But that was my first foray into video was when my stepfather had retired and I had taken over the business and I was swapping from stonemasonry more into general contracting. So I was doing a bit of everything. We used to use the yellow pages. We would, um, when we had to advertise, you go, okay, I take $7,000. I get a page in the, you know, the yellow pages somewhere near the front. People know who we are and that's how we, you know, people can find us. But the yellow pages kind of went away, you know, so you had word of mouth still, but then there was this new thing called the internet around that early nineties time. And so we started, you know, I had to quickly learn like, okay, we have to learn how to be found on this thing that's called the internet, which was very underdeveloped at that point. The search engines aren't what they are today. So learning to, um, to be discovered over time is it turned into a thing where we, we started figuring out like, well, geez, if we make videos, I think that actually can help our discovery because over time, places like Google, when Google started developing, it, they started presenting videos for some of the search queries. And it was like, well, we should make videos. That's a good way to get discovered too. So I had started making videos originally just like projects we had done, renovations we had done, and we would walk through them and show them to people. So was this like the early 2000s, somewhere in those, that range, or like 2010 or something like that? Probably closer to mid-90s, probably like 96, 97 is when I really started paying attention to internet. Okay, but let's transition into the video side of it, though. At what point were, because YouTube, I don't even know when what year YouTube came out, but I would imagine... I know Google owns YouTube, so that must have been in the 2000s when you were when you started messing around with YouTube, right? Yeah, when I started using actual YouTube was probably, I think, 2006, I think, was the first year of YouTube. So we started, because we were using anything we could. We were hosting them on our websites, and then we were doing, a Vimeo was was like there for a while, so we were using Vimeo. YouTube, I think, at the beginning, was a, actually started as a dating site. It was very different back in the day. So what we did, though, when, when YouTube started surfacing, I started moving all of my content over to YouTube and putting videos videos there, not thinking channel, just thinking, oh, it's another place I can host videos. And we would put them onto YouTube and that worked pretty well. It seemed to be a free hosting service. So we put them there and it wasn't until later on. I mean, now fast forward till my son was born in 2005. So he was, he was probably nine or 10 years old, you know, get, go back into the mid the 2018, 17 era. My son said to me, like, I want to make a YouTube channel. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know what a YouTube channel per se is, but I, I've used YouTube as a platform and I do put videos there for construction and, 
I know every now and then I get like a check in the mail from Google because <laughs> of, you know, people watching stuff, but I didn't know anything about a channel. So that's where I started as my son said, well, I want to do this thing. You know, I want to like, why don't we do like a challenge? I want to do like, I want, you know, eat hot sauces and crazy things like tarantulas and cat food. We did crazy stuff on that channel. And that's what I started doing was, was sometime it was a thing to spend time with my son making fun videos and putting them onto YouTube. Awesome. So what happened after that? I mean, obviously there's more to the story because you seem to be all in on YouTube these days. <laughs> yeah. Fill in some more of that story. Well, what, what happened was, is like anything else, I said to my son when we started that channel, which was called Extreme Food Reviews. <laughs> okay. It. And what we did was uh, I said to my son, I said, listen, I want to do this as long as it's fun. The minute it stops being fun, then I don't want it to be a chore. You know, I, I want it to be something we enjoy doing together. So we made maybe about 40 or 50 videos on that channel. And then it got to be the point where I'd be like, Hey, you want to film a video, Jonas? And he'd be like, well, I kind of want to go hang out with my friend's dad. <laughs> so, you know, the, so I said, Oh, well, you know, I was getting bitten by the bug. I had been publishing videos. So I decided to make a couple of videos for the channel where I also like cooking. So I would like try, you know, making some of the hot sauces that we were sitting there killing ourselves with. I'm like, Oh, show somebody how to make a hot sauce. And when I did that, a funny thing happened. It went from a fun channel to all of a sudden the videos where I taught people something, where I showed people something, started driving a lot of views. You know, we had videos that were only maybe if they drove a couple thousand views, that was like we were excited. Now all of a sudden I was getting making videos that were driving 100,000 views, 200,000 views. There was a little light bulb in my head that when he said, well, I'm kind of done with this, I said, I, I may not be. <laughs> Very cool. So kind of bring us up to the present. Like, what are you doing now these days with YouTube? I had spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what YouTube really had going on. Because like I said, I still didn't totally understand it. As I was building content with my son, I, I learned, you know, the how to use the functionality of YouTube. But I don't know that I ever really learned why some videos did really well and some didn't. I just know some did and some didn't. And, and it intrigued me. And I hooked up with Brian G. Johnson, who I'd gotten to know online as a, as a guy who was a good, he was kind of like a coach. He had a lot of good information about understanding YouTube. And I actually hired him and he came on and we, we did some sessions where I said, I'd like to do this, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Should I start a new channel? Should I do something else? I'm, and we actually built some test channels. I built a test cooking channel with some actual videos on it. We'd look at it and they weren't public. We were just trying to get a feel of, does it look right? Does it feel right? Is this something people would be interested in? And as I was learning how to be a better video content creator and actually what was important on the platform, we ended up coming to the conclusion like, well, you're a guy who's trying to make better video content, put it onto YouTube and grow a YouTube channel. That would be a great thing to actually make your channel about because you're living that life. And that was where I started this channel, which is just my name, Daniel Batal. And it's all about teaching people how to make better video content, put it up onto YouTube and grow YouTube channels. And how long has it been since you launched that channel? And after you hired Brian G, who's also been on this show. I think I'm in my fourth year now. I think it's in my fourth year. So it was somewhere around 2018, I think we, we began, maybe July. It's not a long time ago, but it's been, it's been a bit. Did you ever think that you would be doing this now as your main career, you know, given your background as a musician and also as like an artist when it comes to stonemasonry and all that kind of stuff? Did you, did you imagine you'd be teaching people how to use the internet, <laughs> how to use YouTube? No, God, no, God, no, oh, Lord, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, it was, it, as it started to unfold, because I, I'm, I'm very passionate about anything that I get into. I want, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. So the more I learned and the more I got into it, it, we got to the point where, you know, there was some AdSense revenue coming in. And then there were companies that were out there that kind of were reaching out to me that whether, I didn't know if they were good fit or they weren't. I was seeing that there was money to be made and there was options for different revenue streams out there. And I was getting older. I'm 55 now. So when I started this channel, I was probably, you know, 50, 51. 
and it was getting, you know, I was getting a little long in the tooth to be climbing on roofs and doing renovations and carrying stone and running crews. And it was, it was a lot on the, on the old body after 35 years of doing it. I just kind of said, like one day I kind of like looked at it and figured out a plan of action and said, I think if I can get this to a certain point, I can retire from construction. I just need to get it to a certain income level and I can stop doing what I'm doing, switch over and go all in and see if I can make this an actual career. And when I hit that point, like my girlfriend at the time was like, you're doing what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? You know, and, and it was, it was a scary ride, but you know, it within 10 months, I think the channel had hit 10,000 subscribers. By the end of the first year, we were at 17,000 subscribers by the end of the Second year, we had gotten a silver play button. We hit 100,000 subscribers. The channel, I think, is, a, I don't know, 213,000 or something now. And, and so many other things happened along the way that it, it's turned into a much bigger thing than I ever thought when I was sitting there eating hot sauce and spiders with my son. <laughs> well, for all of the 50-plusters that are out there, I want to thank you for sharing your story. I am 53 about to turn 54, and it's just encouraging to hear that you could have a totally different career and and still go out there and find something that you're excited about and, and actually be very successful with it. Now, there's a lot of people listening right now that are marketers or entrepreneurs or creators, you know, that are maybe aspiring to do what you've done. Why should they consider YouTube? Because so much of my audience is so all in on Instagram and Facebook and maybe to a lesser extent, TikTok, but they tend to overlook YouTube. What is it about YouTube from a business perspective that you think they might want to pay attention to? Well, a couple of fronts. As I've done this for the over the years and started to work, I've worked with thousands of channels now, pretty much in every aspect of any niche that you can imagine. I've, I've helped develop channels and get them onto the path of actually connecting with target audiences. The, the common factors in there is one thing you have to understand is that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, owned by the largest search engine in the world, Google. So when it comes to discovery and actually getting in front of the kind of people that you want to get in front of, it's an amazing, amazing resource for making content that can be organically put out in front of people that you may be trying to reach. It's a free platform to use. They don't charge anything for it. So you get all these analytics, you get the ability to, you know, host videos on it and they even share profits with you when they get monetization from running ads. But, you know, one of the things that you have to understand is last year alone, more advertisers spent money on YouTube than they did on any other social media site, period. So when you understand that companies that are really trying to be seen are using the platform to get in front of people, then the idea of actually capitalizing on that and learning to make your own content, because the, the way the systems are built on YouTube, YouTube's a platform of prediction. So YouTube is really trying to build systems in different ways and different traffic patterns because they get traffic sources from suggested, recommended, browse, and search. What they're trying to do is always trying to predict what the viewer might want to watch next to get them watching and keep them watching. So YouTube's whole AI is built around trying to understand viewers and what their interests are. Getting videos onto a platform that's specializing in that and when it finds content that connects with the viewer's needs, it serves their interests and has decent performance metrics, they'll organically recommend it and push it out. It's like free advertising. I mean, if you just do it well, if you understand how, how to connect with the target audience you're trying to reach, the sky's the limit. You could literally bring exposure to the people you're trying to reach who have no idea who you are in a way that you never could with advertisement or just trying to use Instagram or something else where you're just natively trying to grow that brand. Recently, we had Sean Cannell on the show within probably the last month of when we're publishing this episode. And uh, it, it is so fascinating the way like everybody on the socials kind of understands 
general socials like TikTok and Twitter and all that stuff. I mean, well, not TikTok, maybe, maybe more Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Generally, people understand the shelf life of a post is maybe if you're lucky a day. You know, it's very unusual that you're going to see a post that's a week old or two weeks old unless you happen to go into a Facebook group and kind of scroll backwards. What I think is amazing about YouTube is, first of all, you said, hey, there's a lot of money in ads. And that's, for some of the listeners, an opportunity for them to go out and actually just pay to have a video be seen in front of uh, creators already because you can target them. And we've covered this pretty extensively in other shows. But it also, there's so much money on YouTube that they've recently forced all channels to monetize, right? Because there's so much demand for ads. So I think there is a big opportunity to create content and let YouTube just simply find you the audience. And you kind of hinted at it a little bit, but why don't you talk about how YouTube actually finds an audience for your videos, because I think that's something people maybe need to wrap their head around a little bit. Especially for marketers. I think I've worked with a lot of companies who try to bring their brand, their product, their company to YouTube and they go, okay, I know how to do this, right? We'll basically build a giant advertisement and stick it out there and we'll put and we'll spend a lot of money and we'll stuff it down people's throats and that'll work, won't it? And what we often find is the exact opposite is true, is what people are interested in is conversations. They're interested in what's important to them. So if you can come to the platform and understand that YouTube really is using the viewer's interests to try to connect content with those viewers, then you can really leverage it in multiple ways. I know a lot of companies who come to the platform who may have a YouTube channel, but that's their smallest goal. They actually try to align themselves with influencers or creators who are in the lifestyle vein of that company, right? Like there's a couple of channels I work with. One is about a four or 500,000 subscriber crochet channel, right? And she's the kind of channel that would fall in line with people like, well, what are people who are interested in crocheting doing? Maybe they're also interested in cooking at home. Maybe they're also interested in things that might happen else around the house. So then there's companies that you can get like HelloFresh or someone like that, that might align and say, this would be someone we'd like to talk to, even though specifically what she's doing isn't the thing that we do. She speaks to the target audience that we're trying to reach. She speaks to the type of person who might be at home, might be crafting, might be doing things at home, and they might align with things outside of what their channel might seem to be on the outside. So usually with me, what I'm trying to do is when I work with um, brands and marketers who come to the platform, I tried as much as ad revenue and, and trying to put paid reach in front of people is an important strategy if, that's, if it's um, strategic. None of the paid reach metrics impact organic. And let me make sure I made that clear. If you put a video on your YouTube channel and then you pay for an ad campaign, YouTube will track all of the watch time metrics separately. And they don't use that engagement to then figure out who to recommend your content to organically. They use organic views and watch time and audience retention reports to look and say, these people went ahead and, and clicked and watched this thing without it being paid to be put in front of them. So you have to understand that there's sort of two sides of that coin, one being paid, one being organic. And if you can double down on organic, you can really start connecting with the people who would be interested in your content or the products or the market or the brand or whatever it is that you bring into the platform. Let's talk a little bit about analytics because you kind of hinted a little bit that there's some fascinating data that YouTube gives you. Many marketers are data geeks. They love looking at analytics. YouTube provides, I'm just going to say the best analytics of any social platform, full stop. It's almost overwhelming in the same way Google Analytics is overwhelming because there's just so many things that you can do with it. For marketers that are reviewing their YouTube analytics, what specifically should they be looking at? What are some of the biggest, or said another way, what are the mistakes they make when they look at their analytics? Let's talk about that actually. 
Well, there's, there's sort of the, the obvious metrics that you hear about a lot. You, you, people throw around things like CTR, AVD, AVP. So we're talking about click-through rate if your video is presented as an impression in front of someone who YouTube thinks might be the target audience. Do they click, right? How many times do they have to present it in front of people before they click? So you'll hear about a click-through rate. A lot of marketers are, are kind of familiar with that just even from ad campaigns. Your average view duration, AVD or the average percentage viewed. So that's used to be called APV. Now they're switching it over to AVP to make it all sound similar. But those are the obvious ones. Like, do they click? Do they watch? All of these metrics, really what marketers need to understand is sometimes I think that people press their nose against metrics too closely and they can't see the forest for the trees. They just think, well, I need to get a better CTR. I need to get a better average view duration. I need to get, I need to get, I need to get. And the reality is what you should be looking at is you want to be getting more impressions. You want that video to be pushed out more often than previous content that you've made. You're always trying to compare yourself to you and see if you can improve the reach of that content. Because one thing you have to understand is the more a video gets pushed out, the higher probability it can be put in front of people who may not be the right fit. And YouTube understands that. They're, they have very advanced systems in AI, just pretty much a version of Google Brain running it. So it knows that, you know, when you put a video in front of a few hundred people that, are, that may have subscribed to your channel or may know who you are, you're going to get a higher CTR. Put that in front of several million people, that CTR is going to drop. So getting really wrapped up in like, what's your CTR is a huge mistake. What you should be paying more attention to is the impressions and the reach and the velocity, how quickly that video seems to be grabbing some momentum. That, that's the kind of thing that at the core, I think that anyone who's on the platform and has a YouTube channel, whether you're a brand, a marketer, a creator, you're a business and you have to look at it that way is, you know, how effectively is my content connecting with the target audience I'm trying to reach? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of this stuff. Let's geek out a little bit. So click through rates and average view durations you say are the things that people look at, but really the more important thing is the impressions, right? What's the metric called? And where do you find that metric? Like if, is there a certain metric they should be looking at? Is it literally called impressions or is it called something else? Yeah. Impressions you'll see. So impressions and it's, they actually have the definition in there. Impressions is physically when YouTube is putting your video in front of the viewer on the platform in specific places. When we talk about recommendation, that's everyone thinks like, well, it's YouTube videos just go up, right? Well, not really. There's different traffic sources. If someone comes onto YouTube and they type into that search bar and they're looking for something, then a search results will become up That's search. So every time a video is served there, whatever's ranking in there and being shown, those are all considered impressions. If someone just logs onto YouTube and they haven't used it as a search engine, YouTube will automatically start recommending content based on things like what's trending or what they know about that viewer, what they may have watched recently and maybe in their watch history. That's what they call browse. Now, if you're already watching a video and that video ends, there's going to be another video that YouTube is going to choose to put up next. And as you're watching it, if you see down the sidebar, there'll be another list of videos that while you're watching, like, Hey, you know, you may want to check this out. That's the same sort of recommendation, but it's called suggested. And these are all just YouTube putting videos in front of people in different places. What people don't really realize a lot of the time is they think of YouTube as a search engine, which is great, but the vast majority of views on YouTube every single day don't come from search. Over 70% of the views on YouTube every day come from recommendation, browse and suggested. So what you're really trying to do 
is get those impressions up. Make sure that YouTube is pushing that content out and then you can pay attention to, well, I know they're pushing it out. Are, Are people clicking? Are they watching? Because these all go hand in hand. If they put your video out in front of people and what they think is the target audience, remember it's prediction. They're using traffic data to understand the viewer. What is that viewer interested in? What else have they watched? How many other videos did they watch before they watched your video? What do we know about them in general when they do come to the platform? If YouTube understands that type of viewer and it thinks that your video is a good fit and puts it in front of them, do they click? Do they watch? How long do they watch? And more importantly, what do they go on to watch next? Because YouTube's trying to keep people on the platform watching content so they can serve ads along the way and drive revenue. So that's the number one thing that I would start paying attention to is just that reach. Okay, so this reach that we're referring to, which is really impressions, right, is aggregated, I'm assuming, inside of YouTube under a metric called impressions. Is that right? Correct. And when you're looking at your videos, give the listeners and viewers a little bit of like maybe the process you would go through. Like let's say the last 28 days, or I forget what the default period of time is. I think it's 28 or 30 days or whatever. Like what do you want to do? Do you want to sort by impressions? And what are we looking for exactly? When I first drop a video, because I've been doing this for a while, you have to remember that not all views are created equal, right? So not every video comes out of the gate swinging to do the same thing, the same way a batter gets to the plate. Not everybody's swinging for a home run, right? It's strategic in what you're doing. And as you build content on a channel, you're trying to build content for different reasons. And not every one of those videos is designed to be a home run hit. Sometimes they need to serve. If you have a product and you need to talk about some updates of the product, you know, if it does well, that's great. But sometimes you need to talk about something that's an update or a new feature or something you've changed or maybe a sale that you have going on or promotions that you might have something that's a video talking about something, but leveraging a different goal set. But when you first drop a video, what I tend to look at when you've done it for a while, you start learning things like, I know when my, my channel has a certain amount of momentum, if I drop a strong video in the first 30 minutes to two hours, that CTR, if it can hit 13, 13 and a half CTR for my particular niche and my channel and my target audience, that's going to be a banger video. So if I know this should be a strong video, I know I made this one, I expect it to do well and I put it out and it comes out and it's not getting a lot of impressions and the click-through rate's really low. I'll jump right in and I'll change out that thumbnail or I'll try to simplify or make the title more compelling because I'm paying attention to what a metric that they don't really specifically have, which is called velocity. And that's that whole momentum of how many impressions is it getting based on those impressions? What kind of click-through rate is it getting? And then how long are people watching for the average view duration once they're down that rabbit hole of, you know, they've clicked, they're inside of the video, are they actually hanging in there? And then what are the engagement metrics? Are they commenting on this one? Are they liking this video? What am I seeing happening here that I want to really pay attention to so that, that I know my video out of the gate should be hitting certain benchmarks? And if it isn't, I'll make some adjustments. Okay. So how do you actually determine those benchmarks for somebody who's not yet as data savvy as you are? So how do we go back and determine what that benchmark ought to be? Is there some sort of way we can go back and kind of set a standard upon which we're trying to beat ourselves? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I, I'm a total data geek. I mean, you know this, I've helped build, you know, a bunch of tools for TubeBuddy. I've worked with Nicole Kamensky on Morning Fame. I'm a data geek at heart. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone needs to tell you when a video is doing well, right? If you put a video, if you put 12 videos out in the last month or the last two months, right? And those videos have all driven 100 to 200 views in the first day or two. And then you drop a video and it's driving 350 views the first day. That's about as far as you need to look. Like something's happening here. Something worked here. That's your target audience saying, you know what? YouTube served this video to us. And instead of just grazing by it and moving on to something else that was served to us, we stopped and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this? This connects with me. I'm going to stop and choose to watch this 
as opposed to all the other interests that they might be served in any given watch session. So you're really what you're trying to do on your channel. Number one is pay attention to that velocity. When you drop a video, is it connecting? Is it getting out there? Is it doing better than other content that you have put on your channel recently? Because if you become your own yardstick, it's a lot easier to make these adjustments and tweaks instead of trying to compare yourself to some unreasonable goal. Like, you know, how well, how well is Mr. Beast doing? Or how well is, you know, Linus Tech Tips doing? You want to make sure that your content is constantly growing because as we build channels, right? What we're doing is we're building a catalog. We're becoming better creators. We're building a catalog. We're building more content and we're learning to be better creators. And if we're doing it right, if we have a strong value proposition on our channel, we should be able to, in an instant, tell somebody, you know, the three W's of YouTube, you know, what is your channel about? Who's the target audience and why should they watch your content? If we make content that does that effectively at a glance, what happens over time is we start building things that will gain momentum because if you have a strong performing video, guess what YouTube might try doing? They might go, well, this person just watched that video all the way through. Let's try serving them something else from this channel. They seem to like this one. And if you have a deeper back catalog of content that already has some decent metrics behind it, relevance and performance, YouTube knows which bin to grab from to try to get that viewer to watch another piece of your content. Does YouTube provide you the ability to go back on some of your older videos and just look at the first hour or the first day to set some sort of a, I can imagine setting up a spreadsheet, you know what I mean? And tracking kind of figuring out what my standard is, has been in the past, like my typical first 30 minute impressions and click through rate. I mean, do you recommend doing something like that and storing it in a sheet for someone who wants to be really analytical to kind of tell like what you, maybe they're not as tuned in as you are to know that they got to make a change in that first 30 minutes. But if they, if they figured out the data, can they figure out the data? Does it tell you the data you need to be able to do this very quickly? Actually, the like you said before, the analytics are really in-depth and they're very customizable. You can actually go in and you can create what they call groups. And you can say, listen, I'm going to take this these specific videos, put them into a group. And when you pull up that group, it'll only show the analytics that you want to see for that selected group of videos, not necessarily all of them, because you may be doing live streams, you may be doing some shorts, you may have some edited content, or maybe you're doing something that you go, this one group of videos, we're all targeting this particular conversation here that I was really trying to hammer down on. And I wanted to see how these do. You can actually take all those, group them together, look at that data, and then you can add in the advanced mode of analytics, you can physically add and subtract the data points. You can literally say, let me add that metric in. I also want to see, you know, how many subscribers, how much conversion this particular video did for the channel. You can set the date range from custom. You can have it from a day up to the lifetime of the channel. So you can start setting all the parameters by which the data is being fed to you. And you can export that directly up to Google Drive right from with inside of YouTube so that it'll put it in a state of spreadsheet. And you can actually just say, I want this all exported as raw data so I can just look at it or send it down the line instead of having to come back in and open up YouTube. I just would like to see it in a, you know, more of a, just a, a form so that I can take a look and actually see the numbers. Okay. So there's a lot of people listening that have probably done a lot of videos like you have and I have, and we've got some clear winners and some clear losers. It seems like the impressions of the video is very much based on the quality of the content that is in the video itself, right? I mean, there's things you can control and you kind of mentioned thumbnails and I know you can also change titles, but at the end of the day, is it true that maybe when you do have a winner, we should reverse engineer, what is it about this video and the way we did this video? Is it the topic? Is it the style? Could it be all of these things? Like, what do you normally think about when you're trying to separate your winners and your losers? The three T's topic thumbnail title and not necessarily in that order because the way we build as creators 
is we usually figure out the top, we, we try to stay with inside of that value prop, right? You don't want to be making a channel that talks about different targets because if you're one day, and let's use loose terms here, if you're one day, you're making videos that are talking about one specific niche, if it's a cooking or something to that effect, and then the next day you're talking about travel, those serve the needs of different target audiences. YouTube has become much more focused and targeted in the way it's trying to serve the needs of the viewer. So first of all, you want to make sure you have that umbrella of a value proposition that all of your content should always serve the needs of a very specific target audience. But when you get inside of that topic title thumbnail, we first usually we're trying to develop and say, well, today I want to talk about, you know, pick your topic. If I said the, the, the new iPhone, okay, well, what do you want to say about the new iPhone? Well, I would like to talk about how you can um, use your iPhone to get your calendar up to date, to keep yourself more organized using the iPhone. Okay, well, now you have an idea of where the title's going to go. Well, then how do I bring that into a thumbnail? Because your other T, right? How do I get that image? I don't want to just take text and stuff it up into the thumbnail. The thumbnail is the thing that's going to stop people in the scroll. And you have to remember that your content is going to get served up against the other interests of that viewer, not always just like in search similar channels to what you're talking about. So at any given moment, like me, I'm interested in guitars. I'm interested in Harley Davidson's. I'm interested in vintage American muscle cars, but I'm also interested in things like how I can more effectively grow a YouTube channel and, and the impact of social media on the creator economy. So I'll be getting served all kinds of videos. And in the interim, you have to think, well, what's going to make Daniel stop and watch that one video that's talking about how to grow a YouTube channel or how to make better content and skip past the one that was completely unrelated. That was like a Rick Beato video talking about breaking down, you know, the top 10 billboard songs from the eyes of a producer. So if you know that you're really, what you're trying to do is you're trying to compete against the other interests of the viewer in that moment, when everybody opens up YouTube, they're going to get served something different. You want to make sure that the target audience that you're trying to reach more often gets served your content and that your content competes well against their other interests. So they don't just slide by you and go and watch that other guitar video. They watch the product video, the marketing video, the thing that you brought to the table. And that's where I think a lot of marketers need to really start saying, wait a second, we need to talk about conversations. Conversations is something that I think marketers miss out on. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. I was a speaker at VidCon last year. And one of the things I talked about was connecting creators, small creators with big brand deals. And I brought in one of my coaching clients who's done very, very well from herself. She's a, she owns a hair salon. She actually closed it down and went full-time on YouTube. She was doing so well. And one of the things she had done was she was approached she, on her channel. She talks a lot about hair. So she was approached by a company that was like, I think the name of the company, I don't, I'm not telling tales, I blow brusher. I think it was basically it was like a hair dryer with a brush on the end. And it was a product that women or anyone could use that was like a dryer with a brush on attached to it. And they wanted her to do like a, a video that talked about that brand and that how to market. They want to, you got to put the name in the title and you got to say blow brusher. And she said, no, that's not what my target audience is interested in. I've done the research. Your name doesn't have a lot of searches every month. It's not like people are putting blow brusher in. That means nothing to them. Instead, what she made, she convinced them to do a video with her that she used the product and found out it was really good for straightening your hair. And she made a video that said why I never use a flat iron to straighten my hair anymore. And maybe you shouldn't either never mention the product. The video was well over 350,000 views blowing up. The company loved it. They're getting all kinds of conversion. They've got their link. She mentioned the product. Once you're in this using the blow brusher, but she leveraged the conversation, not the product. And that is what connected with the target audience. So when you say conversation, what you really mean is the challenge or the story 
that is faced by the person watching the video before they ever talk about the solution. That's really what you're talking about, right? Precisely. The pain points, the interest levels, the things that people would be in the back of their head say like, wait a minute, I use a, I use a flat iron. You're not using a flat iron. Look at that thumbnail. Your hair's perfectly straight. What did you use? Get them interested. Be compelling. Speak to them on the level of things that are going on in their life, even if they don't know who you are, what your product is or what you're selling or what it is you're trying to get through to them with, talk to them on the problem solving end of it, right? This is, and this is marketing 101. This is the old school, you know, Ron Bopeel, you know, out there with the pocket fisherman, like, well, you want to go fishing, but you don't want to grab your whole tackle box, you know, solve the problem, put the conversation first and then show them how the product is something that they might be interested in and don't force it down their throat. Start with the conversation first. Going back to, you know, these three T's topic, thumbnail and title, there's two of these three that you can change after the video has obviously been published, which is the thumbnail and the title. It kind of implies that you've got to get your content really dialed in first and foremost. And this kind of brings me back to a parallel question, which is Google, YouTube, their algorithms are really smart. They're clearly watching somehow the way some people are interacting with this video in order to give this video more impressions, right? So I would imagine that a good video with uh, just an okay title and an okay thumbnail might actually get a little bit more impressions than a bad video because people are watching it. Am I right? Am I wrong? Very true. All the metrics work together. This is again why I say don't press your nose against one metric too hard. Think about how they all work together, right? Because you could have a video that you look at and you go, that's not the greatest thumbnail in the world. And that title seems pretty straightforward. But if it connects with the audience and they stop and go, wait, I want to watch this. And then once they're in the door and they're actually watching a large percentage of that video, that average view duration can make up for something that maybe the packaging wasn't perfect. Maybe the title wasn't great, but once people clicked it and got in there, man, the people were just watching the heck out of it. And YouTube is calculating that as well. And balancing all the different, when, when YouTube talks about watch time, it's not just what we think about watch time in analytics, which is physically how many minutes have been people watching your content. Watch time is a much larger metric that includes, are they clicking? Are they watching the engagement along the way? The average view duration? Are they engaging down below? What, what are they doing next? What, how long did they stay on this video? What video did they go on and watch afterwards? Did they come back to this video later on? Did they stop it halfway? And then they came back later on and started watching it again because they had something else to do. That's what you really want to think about is that connection point. So let's talk for a minute about, there's a couple metrics that people tend to overlook and we talked about them in preparing for this interview. One of them was unique views per viewer and unique views per content. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that's so important? Yeah. So the technical terms are uh, unique viewers. So a lot of times people think, well, I'm just getting views, right? People are watching my content or they're not watching my content. But what we start to learn as we grow channels is that not all views are created equal. So some of the metrics some people don't realize are there is unique viewers. You can actually see how many unique viewers do I have coming to my channel? They've even broken it down nowadays where they've given us separate flowcharts for how many returning subscribers are watching my content and how many new visitors are watching my content. So you can start gauging how well you're connecting with people who have no idea who you are. So understanding how many unique viewers you have to begin with, right? Because if you got you know, one person comes and watch your video a hundred times because, you know, you're sometimes you know, <laughs> I had my girlfriend just watch it over and over again. You know, YouTube understands that people will sometimes try to game the system. So they have all these metrics to show us um, how many unique viewers are actually showing up and watching your content independently. But they actually also have um, average views per viewer, which is something that a lot of creators don't pay attention to. And again, when I say creators, I mean, anybody who has a YouTube channel, you're a creator. 
So one of the things you want to look at is the average views for viewer. If you can get a viewer to come in and watch two, three views. Now, sometimes that's the same video that they've gone back and watch again, because sometimes the content, you know, is it feeds itself in a way where they'll actually rewind it and watch it again or come back to it later and watch it one more time because they really like they learned something. But sometimes they'll move on to the next piece of content. But if you can get that person to engage and watch two, 2.3, three videos per average view per viewer, that's when you're really going to start building momentum. Because again, YouTube is a platform of prediction, which means it's looking at the traffic data from viewer behavior to understand who to recommend content to. And I say this all the time, all the engagement metrics work together in a way that YouTube will never give us the full, you know, the algorithmic breakdown of how they, they play them in there. Views is obviously the most important, how a person watches your content, how long do they watch it for, but they're also paying attention to satisfaction. That's a new thing that YouTube's really paying attention to. And they're using different metrics to figure out if they're satisfied. They said a long time ago, it's like, you know, listen, we understand that it's like watching a movie at midnight on Netflix. You might turn it on and you could be trying to fall asleep and you got insomnia and you might watch the whole movie, but does that mean it's the best movie you ever saw and that you'd recommend it just because you watched it all the way through? Maybe not. YouTube understands that too. And they're trying to really understand satisfaction. So they watch metrics like, what else is this person doing? Are they hitting the subscribe button? Are they hitting like? Are they going down below and leaving a comment? Is the creator coming back in responding to their comment? And then they come back in and they reply to the reply of that comment. Are they sharing that content? Are they going on to watch other videos? Are they hanging around the channel and going through the tabs? I can't tell you how many times I've done channel consultations with creators and I didn't really watch any of their videos. We just snooped in around their channel guaranteed the very next morning. Guess who's all over the homepage of my YouTube feed, that channel, because YouTube looks at me as a viewer and says, I saw you, you know, you were playing around in there. You looked like you were interested. Let's try serving you more of that based on your recent history of engagement on the platform. The viewer behavior is the number one thing that anyone on the platform making content needs to really take into consideration and go, how can I trigger these viewers? How can I get them watching and keep them watching and get them coming back for more than just a view? Let's get them engaged with the channel and build the channel in a way that they're coming back for things like my posts, my live streams, when I drop a short, when I, anything you know in that area, they might just be surfing through my playlist to see what else I have going on. If you can get them really working inside of that channel and treat that channel like your storefront, that's when you can really get a channel to gain some traction and gain some momentum. Daniel, this has been really, really helpful. If people want to find out more about Daniel Patel, where do they go? Where do you want to send them? And also if you have a favorite social platform that you want people to connect with you on, where would that be as well? Yeah, I probably spend most of my time on YouTube. Obviously it's, it's Daniel Batal, my name, B-A-T-A-L. And the channel is named Daniel Batal. My website, if you're interested in connecting with me in terms of consulting or working on trying to figure out better strategies, personalized growth strategies, it's danielbatal.com. And I also spend a lot of time on Facebook, but mostly in a private group. That's a paid group for my channel members. But I'm on Twitter a lot. I spend a lot of time on Twitter growing that presence, trying to give advice to creators who are out there trying to figure out the best ways to get their content to connect. And t- your Twitter ID is? is also Daniel underscore Batal. <laughs> Daniel underscore Batal, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and insights with us. We're so much better because of it. Thank you very much, Michael. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 516. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.